spiritual conscious world is not a religion in the ordinary sense of the term. Generally, we think of religion as a kind of faith or dogma. But rather, Krishna consciousness is the original consciousness of every living being. We understand that these bodies are temporary, but within the body, there is a living particle of spiritual energy called the soul. The soul is present within this body now. When this body dies, the soul will go to another body. In terms of scientific investigation of this phenomenon, Russia has played a leading role. And now there are many researchers in universities throughout the world using psychological techniques and especially by hypnotic regressive techniques which are examining this phenomena of the soul's transmigration. Now, of course, this has been very elaborately described in the ancient Vedic literatures emanating from India. Now, obviously, if we understand that we are souls and not just this material framework of the body, then our whole attitude towards life is going to change. Therefore, we say that Krishna consciousness is not an ordinary faith or religion, but rather a scientific, cultural and philosophical presentation for the re-spiritualization of the entire world. Scientific, cultural and philosophical. At the present time, we see the world, the human society, has made more progress in terms of technology than at any other time in known history. But at the same time, in terms of human happiness and social stability, it's probably the worst time in human history. Now, many people would say that we need to become more to solve this imbalance in human society. But it's not quite as simple as that. People today are educated. It's not like in the past when only a few people are educated. In the modern age, everybody is educated. And everybody is educated to accept things in scientific terms. People are trained to doubt and only accept something if it can be presented scientifically. So obviously in the modern age, Simply to tell people, believe in God, be good, is not going to be enough. People are going to say, why? Why should I not simply eat, drink, sleep, be merry, enjoy life, for tomorrow we will all be dead? Therefore, very discreet intelligence is required to understand this subtle science of the soul. Now, it's very interesting to note that there are many medical institutions throughout the world, and... Billions of dollars have been spent on all kinds of medical research, but no one is anywhere near to uh, stopping the death problem. If, as according to uh, atheistic scientists, the body is the only repository of life, that in other words, that life is dependent on the chemicals within the body, then it should be presumed that there should be some chemical method to stop death. But we don't even find any medical institution which is trying to stop death. Nor can even the difference between a living and a body and a dead body be very clearly defined. What is, what is the difference between a living body and a dead body? It can be said that in a dead body there is no respiratory action, the heart stops beating, the brain waves stop. But exactly why Consciousness should no longer be present, they cannot be explained. Recently I was speaking with a neurosurgeon from England, and he told me that 80% uh, of the brain's functions they don't understand. 
neurosurgeon, means he operates on people's oh. brains. He said that uh, that 80% of the brain's functions they don't understand. They don't really understand how the brain is working. So I had a very interesting discussion with him, suggesting that the consciousness which is channeled through the brain, that is actually not produced from the brain, but from the living organism within the body called the soul. So our suggestion to the science scientists of the world is to investigate this, take it as a hypothesis and investigate it. And actually, last year, under the auspices of the Bhaktivedanta Institute, which is the scientific branch of this Hare Krishna movement, uh, the first two faculties in universities were set up in the world for investigating consciousness and life. One is at the uh, University of California at Berkeley, and another at the Pitts Institute of Science and Technology in Rajasthan, India. Actually, the time is right for scientists and theologians to come together to understand the science, the higher subtle, higher subtle science. Science has unnecessarily been divorced from religion for many hundreds of years. Due to political reasons more than intellectual reasons, science and religion went on different paths from the time of the Renaissance. When Copernicus and Galileo their findings seem to be different to that which was described in the Bible. Uh, they became what appeared to be an irrevocable split between uh, religious intellectualism and scientific intellectualism. But recently, uh, there, there has been a change in the field of science in the attitude towards religion, because science said we only want the scientists said we only want to see what we can understand in a rational way. But now, the, uh, at the forefront of scientific research in the field of quantum theory, everything that, that they're finding seems to be totally irrational. Theories of infinite parallel universes. In other words, that now, I'm sitting, now we're all sitting here together. But according to some quantum theorists, uh, as we see time developing, just like I'm moving my hand here, I could also be simultaneously moving my hand in a thousand different ways, and reality could be evolving in thousands of different ways. And other examples are there, there are different theories for the origin of the universe. Popular theories uh, developed by quantum, uh, quantum physicists are such, such theories that there was absolute nothingness, then all of a sudden there was reality. There was matter manifested from nothing. So science has come to a point where their own, their theories, they go beyond what can be rationally understood according to what we normally call common sense. And especially in America, this has led to uh, many scientists investigating the uh, theological hypothesis of universal existence. Recently, a book was published in America uh, with three Greek words as its title, Cosmos, Bios, and Theos, and Theos, which of course translates as the universe, life, and God. The universe, life, and God. So this book was a series of interviews with highly prominent scientists. 
70 top scientists, more than half of them were Nobel laureates. Others were head of research institution, institutes uh, or other highly prominent professors. So they gave a set of six questions to each of them. Question, the first one was that uh, considering that great scientists like uh, Einstein, Heisenberg, and one other they gave, Einstein, Heisenberg, and one other, I can't remember who, they have at least theoretically accepted the existence of God. What is your opinion as a scientist about the existence of God? And many of the scientists replied that, uh, considering the state that science has come to now, we have to, again, bring God into our equations. In the introduction to this book, they quoted from another book written by a scientist, in which the, the author stated that he gave, he gave an example of scientists climbing the great mountain of knowledge. With great difficulty, after many hundreds of years, they slowly made progress step by step up the mountain. Finally, as they pulled themselves over the last rock, they saw a group of theologians who had been waiting there for hundreds of years to precede them. So this is a very great subject, but we would like to suggest that the present imbalance in human society is caused by an imbalanced view of the world, spirit, and God. Present imbalance in human society. Oh. World view. That means how people of the world, uh, the world, spirit, and God. Uh, the time is right now for a great leap in the field of knowledge. In, in the course of time, there have been great personalities who have contributed knowledge which have made great leaps in knowledge, in the knowledge of human society. One of the persons famous for one of these great leaps was, of course, Albert Einstein. And he said in his old life that up in, in his old age, that after all my research throughout my life, uh, the only thing I want to know is how God created the universe. How God created the universe. Uh, so we would like to suggest that the time is right in human society for a new outlook on life. George Bush, who as journalists you know, the last president of America, he, he spoke of the new world order. New world order. But it's the same old world order is going on. Uh, human society is groping in the darkness of ignorance. So it's really a time for the intellectuals of the world to make their contribution for the betterment of human society. And it is our suggestion and our firm belief that the knowledge given in the ancient Vedic literature of India can solve this knowledge gap. That all scientific theories philosophical theories, intellectual theories, they can all be brought into unison by this understanding given in the Vedas. Scientific, intellectual, no, philosophical, can all be brought into unison. Uh, yeah. Brought to fulfillment and brought into unison by this knowledge given in the Vedic literatures, which begins with understanding ourselves, who we are as spiritual living beings and scientifically understanding others also as spiritual living beings, understanding our position within the universe and our relationship with God. Hare Krishna. So then, if there's any questions. Uh, is it your first uh, city to visit in Russia or you visited in other also? Pakistan. 
No, actually this is the fourth time I visited Russia. I first came in 1986 when the social situation was quite different to that today. Then I came again in 1994, 1995 and now again. So I visited many cities. Of course, there are so many cities in Russia. It's a huge country. It's a very interesting time in Russia, of course. In, uh, in future, historians will note this as a time of great change in Russia. Actually, it's a great opportunity for Russia to take a new direction. But unfortunately, it seems that uh, Russia is just following in the footsteps of the stereotyped materialistic civilization of the West. Just like we see McDonald's hamburgers and Coca-Cola have made their presence in Russia. It's no great... Uh, It's no great step forward for Russia to have Coca-Cola. just means uh, the Coca-Cola multi-zillionaire has got a few more billion dollars from, from Russian pockets and so on. But actually, of course, Russia has a very rich spiritual and intellectual tradition. So it would really behoove this great country to live up to that great tradition. Can you give the definition of death and the its kind of uh, depending from the uh, circumstances of um, this yeah. people. Yeah. We understand from the Bhagavad Gita that death is not simply a physical reaction within the body. To properly understand what death is, first of all, we have to understand what life is. Within every living body is a spirit soul which gives life to that body. The body itself is not actually alive, it is the soul that gives life to the body. The body is only composed of chemicals. Chemicals in themselves do not possess the attributes of life. The soul is a different kind of energy to the energy of matter which makes up the body. So as long as the soul is in the body, the body continues to remain alive. So very simply, death of the body means that the soul leaves the body. This is the difference between a living body and a dead body, the presence or non-presence of the soul. This is why it's very difficult to define exactly what is life and death in purely medical terms, because the soul cannot be seen by a microscope or measured by any instrument, because it is a different kind of energy. Just to give an example, sometimes we see a child is born dead. This may be that during birth, the pressure or the pain was so much that the soul inside the body could not tolerate that and left that body. Now, a stillborn child has got all the chemical, all the physical makeup as a living baby. But there is nothing that can be done to make that baby body grow as a normal body would. This is due to the absence of the soul. The soul maintains the living system within the body, and when the soul goes, then the living system collapses. The soul uh, sustains the living functions of the life functions of the body. And when the soul leaves the body, the life functions collapse. So we would like to ask our scientist friends that you please uh, accept this as a hypothesis and make experiments on that basis. And we are confident that all the data you find will tally with such a hypothesis. Similarly, uh, on the macrocosmic scale, the scientists can take as a hypothesis only the source of the universe 
to be a super-intelligent, super-powerful living being. All the uh, multiple problems in trying to describe the origin of the universe in terms of chance are immediately solved if we accept the hypothesis of uh, development of the universe by design. So even speaking scientifically, it's, it is a hypothesis that is well worth investigating. But due to uh, the kind of allergy that scientists have had towards religion, due to the oppression of scientists in the early days of investigative science, uh, still many of them are not even prepared to accept this as a hypothesis. Yeah, but you can't say this kind of thing in short sentences. Okay. And so, uh, three questions. First is, is there uh, a difference between the terms spirit, spirit and soul? And uh, what is the difference? Second question is, what it means a uh, spiritual way of path? And a third question, what is, uh, can you say something about your spiritual path? Yeah. Now, in... Uh In Western languages, the word spirit or soul is sometimes mixed up with thoughts of ghosts and evil spirits, or maybe, some, or maybe some ideas of mysticism and black magic. When we speak of the soul, we mean the living article within each body. This is described in detail in Bhagavad Gita as being part and parcel of God, who is the supreme soul who is indivisible, indestructible, eternal. So what is the spiritual path? The spiritual path is to act in knowledge that I am the soul, I am not the body. The soul is eternal, the body is temporary. So it makes more sense to look, to see to the welfare of the soul than to that of the body. Now, of course, as long as we are in this particular body, we have to feed it, clothe it, and so many things. But we should understand that our, the real importance is to understand the soul. Otherwise, if we only look after the body, it's like having a bird in a cage and very nicely cleaning and polishing the cage, but not feeding the bird, and the bird dies. Another example is that uh, the body covers the soul in the same way that clothes cover the body. So if we, if we simply look after our clothes very nicely, but we don't look after our body, that's not very intelligent. Yeah. So if we only look after... Oh. Now, it is a little difficult to understand the soul because the soul is very subtle. And due to a psychic energy called maya or illusion, uh, we tend to identify, we tend to think of ourselves only in terms of the body. For instance, if I ask you who you are, you'll tell me your name. I'm Russian. I'm a journalist. I live in Kazan and all these things. So all these things are true only in relationship with the body. A hundred years previously and a hundred years from now, you won't be, you weren't in this body and you won't be in that body. So if you say, my name is such and such, I'm Russian, I'm a journalist, that's a relative truth only in relationship to this temporary body. So to understand spiritual knowledge, uh, obviously we have to uh, go to some place, some place of learning. So teaching is required. Traditionally, uh, people were taught spiritual knowledge from a guru or realized teacher on the basis of Shastra, that means scripture. Just like here we have Bhagavad Gita, Kak Onadis. 
which gives the original Sanskrit verses from the Bhagavad Gita and then explains with commentary. But this knowledge in Bhagavad Gita is not simply something intellectual or theoretical. The gurus who teach this knowledge, they teach us to actually experience in our, in our lives our spiritual position. It's, they teach us to experience. That experience means to experience our relationship with the Supreme Spirit or God. Uh, there are different methods for reviving our spiritual consciousness. The most important of these methods is chanting the names of God. This lifts us to the spiritual platform. As we say, Krishna consciousness is a science. Just like in science, uh, you can predict that if you mix acid with alkali, effervescence will be formed and uh, from the reaction salt and water will be produced. So in the spiritual laboratory, we are the experiment and when we chant Hare Krishna, this mantra, according to certain conditions, then the result is that our spiritual consciousness is revived. Seven o'clock hour next time. Actually, actually, we start our day at four o'clock in the morning. The ceremony will continue for seven hours. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing will be going on later. Can you say, uh, do you know about your prayer? Just, uh, uh, is it possible for more? Um, it is possible to know many people do know. Uh, it is, there are techniques to find out. Some people, they just know automatically. Uh, I haven't investigated such techniques to find out specifically what my previous life was. Because I can understand that whatever it was, it was uh, not of any particular significance. Until we act on the spiritual platform, we simply transmigrate to 8,400,000 species of life, suffering repeated birth, death, old age, and disease. So for us, it's sufficient to know that we had a previous birth, and many previous births, and to act in such a way that we don't get another material birth. Question about you and uh, your spiritual master and your life. Yeah, uh, I joined this Hare Krishna movement in 1975 at the age of 18 in England, which is a country. I, bought, I joined this world in 1975. Uh, my spiritual master is Om Vishnu Pad, Sri Srimad Isi who is the founder of this Hare Krishna movement and who wrote all these books. When we say the founder of this movement, that means he's the founder of the modern organization for preaching it all over the world. He is a spiritual master in a chain of spiritual masters that's coming down for many thousands of years. Shortly after joining this movement, uh, I went to India and I've been based there ever since. Uh, why are you joining this movement? Because suddenly uh, it's a bit of a simple I have been looking for spiritual funds at home. I wasn't uh, very satisfied with the way of life as I saw it all around me. I saw that people were not very happy. And even though people had more than enough of material goods to satisfy their needs, still they were frustrated. 
So I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to be like everybody else. So my uh, mental speculations about what, what I should be doing with my life all got their answers when I read this book. Uh, when I got very clear spiritual knowledge of what is our position in this universe and what is our relationship with God. So I did join this movement practically immediately after coming in contact with it. So in one sense it could be said that I joined it suddenly. But from another point of view there was an internal, internal evolution going on which reached its climax in joining this movement. Yeah, there are many different processes of which nine are the most important. The first process is called in Sanskrit shravanam, which means hearing. Just like now, you're all hearing about this spiritual knowledge, so that is the beginning of being situated in spiritual knowledge. The second is called kirtanam, or to speak spiritual knowledge, or to glorify God, or to chant His names. This chanting of the names comes under the second process. Vishnu smaranam means remembrance of God or meditation of God. Radhasevanam means to serving those feet, or to serve the body to temples and circumstances. Archanam means temple worship of the form of the Lord. Dandanam means offering prayers. Dasya means identifying oneself as the servant of God. And in the advanced stages of Krishna consciousness, there are two other processes. One is called Sakyam, which means to identify oneself as the friend of God. And actually in uh, our Vaishnava, understanding, one can even develop, when one's love for God is very intense, and he actually develops love for God with the intensity of a lover to a lover. And then the last process is Atmanimedinam, or completely offering oneself, his mind, his body, his words, his possessions, everything in the service of God. How old this movement is? This movement is thousands and millions of years old. It's coming down since the time of creation. But in its, uh, this manifestation of it was founded in 1966. A formal organization was made just as a practicality for spreading in the modern world. Yeah, in the, just because it's practical in the modern world. How many members, uh, it's difficult to say exactly how many people are practicing Krishna consciousness. In India, practically everybody directly or indirectly worships Krishna, although they may not be officially affiliated with this movement. Some years ago, a survey was made of uh, lifestyles in America, from which it was estimated that up to a million people in America identify themselves as members of the Hanukkah movement. In Newsweek magazine, which is the uh, second largest mm-hmm. in England, um, when was that? November 93 or 94? In Newsweek magazine, November 1993, it was reported that the uh, the Hanukkah movement is the fastest growing religion in the Soviet Union. So there is good interest in this. At the same time, we may not expect many people to take it up very seriously, because it is a very deep philosophy, and to follow it seriously means high standard of dedication. So even if many people do not take it up very seriously, we'll be satisfied if many people 
understand the basic principle that we are not the body, we are spirit soul, we are eternal parts and parcels of God. And in this way, in this life, begin their spiritual journey. We are not this body, we are spirit soul, we are eternal self, we are eternal soul. And by getting this understanding, even if they are not able to dedicate themselves on a very high level, at least they can start their spiritual journey. What is your opinion about that? Yeah, like I said in the very beginning, Christian consciousness is not a religion in the sense that we consider it as a kind of faith. Rather, it is a scientific understanding of the position of the soul, of the universe, and the God. So, practically speaking, whatever, what is in any conventional religion, that is of course for the benefit of human society. So we would like to make a suggestion which people may find difficult to accept, but we request you to study and then make your opinion. Our suggestion is that uh, what, whatever incompleteness is there in the conventional religions of the world can be fulfilled by the philosophy of Christian consciousness. For instance, in Buddhism, there is uh, analysis of suffering in this material world. There is uh, striving to overcome. There is knowledge of repeated birth and death and striving to overcome them. But there is uh, not very complete knowledge of what exactly happens when we become liberated from birth and death. Nor, nor is there the uh, aspect of emotions of personal harm. Although most gods, most Buddhists worship Buddha, but their concept of him is not exactly as a god. In Christianity, there is of course uh, knowledge of God, but exactly who he is and how we develop our love for him, what he wants of us, uh, that is not described in a very elaborate way. And without understanding of reincarnation, it appears to be philosophically complete. Because according to the theory that every soul is every person is a new soul, it would seem that God is favoring some and disfavoring others because some are born in a better position than others. Actually it's accepted by scholars as a historical fact that the early Christians were vegetarians and believed in the incarnation. And Jesus himself was born in a his parents, Joseph and Mary, belonged to the Essene sect, who believed in reincarnation and vegetarianism. Anyway, this is a very great discussion. But we would like to present that Christian consciousness is not in competition with any religion. We're not trying, we're not, our aim is not to convert people from one religion to another. But we would like to suggest that there, there is some knowledge here which uh, followers of other faiths, they may also like to Study. I know many Christians in particular who say that the uh, teachings and practices of Christian consciousness help them to appreciate their own religion better. So I would suggest that, uh, uh, I see, I know you're all very busy people, so you must be wanting to move on. So I suggest that we keep them some of our friends books. And if anyone wants to ask more questions, they can come. No. So, give them a sign. And in the meantime, the first questions come over.
Yeah, exercise is good for the body, but at the present time, professional sport has become like a kind of intoxication for modern society. Billions of dollars are spent on sporting events. Billions and billions of dollars are spent on sporting events. Someone who can, uh, someone who is very expert in kicking a ball is considered a much more important person in society than someone who's got a spiritual or intellectual contribution to do it. With this uh, symptom of imbalance in human society. Similarly, uh, theater, that should be used for elevating our consciousness. In our Krishna conscious world, we also promote drama. Yeah, actually we're all, that Shakespeare said, that we're all like actors upon a stage. This whole world is like one big drama. We're playing a role, we're playing the role so well we forgot our own original self. A good actor, he forgets what his actual position is and he identifies completely with the role he's playing. So we're like that, we forgot that we're spirit souls and we're totally identifying with the point. So it's time for us to wake up from the drama and come back to reality. Swami is a title in Sanskrit which is given to a sannyasi. Swami literally means master. So a sannyasi doesn't try to be master of the world, but he's supposed to be master of the senses. Everyone in the world is controlled by their senses. Our whole life is based around trying to see nice things, taste nice things, hear nice things. But a sannyasi controls these animal instincts and raises his consciousness to apply his senses in the service of God. In other words, just like speaking, instead of speaking all nonsense, we speak about Krishna or God. Instead of eating all kinds of nonsense like sausages and hamburgers, we eat nice vegetarian food open to Krishna. So in this way, all the senses are controlled by imaginary terms of Krishna. The word bhakti means devotion to Krishna, and vikas means expansion or development. So my duty is to try to expand devotion to Krishna. In present time, you serve this spiritual master, but what about your spiritual master? Yeah, my spiritual master he is my eternal spiritual friend. He passed away from this world in 1977. He continues to instruct us through his books, and on his behalf and on his order, I am instructing others as he instructed me. His name is Shula Aisi Bhaktivedanta I'm sorry, I didn't answer this fully because we just said the same thing a few minutes before we he was a uh, very powerful spiritual master in an unbroken line of spiritual masters going back for thousands and millions of years. He founded his Christian Consciousness Movement in 1966 in New York on the basis of principles of Christian Consciousness. 
and it's been taught since time immemorial. He translated about 70 books this size from uh, Sanskrit into English, and these books form the basis of this movement. These books have been translated into all the major languages of the world, including, as you can see, Russian. Srila Prabhupada also traveled all over the world speaking the message of Krishna. He also came to Moscow in 1971. And as a result of his visit, uh, one young Russian man took up Krishna consciousness, and from him, this high Krishna movement spread underground in the Soviet Union. But basically, all over the world, the devotees of Krishna follow the same principles. They rise early in the morning by four o'clock latest. They engage in uh, spiritual activities, chanting the names of God, worshiping Him for several hours every morning. They perform mantra meditation by chanting on beads the Hare Krishna mantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So all the members of this movement chant this mantra on their beads. There are 108 beads, and they chant 16 times 108 times minimum every day. This mantra meditation takes about one and a half to two hours, and helps us to understand our relationship with Krishna. Uh, we also have the religious principles of uh, no meat-eating. That means we don't eat meat, fish, or eggs. We also don't take garlic or onions. But as you are probably finding out now, uh, we don't have to call plant-based vegetarian food. So uh, 